Um, this is not the first time that I have stood on this platform and confessed my love for all things organizational. Um, I love to calendar, I love to plan, I love post-it notes, I take joy in office supplies, it's kind of weird. Um, I like to-do lists. Actually, over Christmas vacation this year, I spent probably a good half day looking at new to-do list apps for my phone. Um, I'm currently using Evernote. Any Evernote users out there? Yes and amen. Um, I, I love a list. I will actually email something to myself because I also use my inbox as a to-do list so that anybody else out there? So I can come to it and delete it like I've marked something off my list. You with me? Um, I, we, and we live in this culture, we live in a society where we're, we're like pushed toward doing things. So if we're going to do things, I'm like, well, I want to be good at doing things. I want to write them down. I want to keep track of them. I want to try and actually accomplish things. And we move in that direction towards doing and accomplishing on all sorts of fronts, right? Like I do it, um, I do it with, uh, with, with, as a leader here, um, as I work and organize and lead and plan for people and ministry. Um, I do it at home. I have a separate notebook in Evernote just for family to-do lists. Um, uh, I, I, we have this kind of like progression to move forward and to do and to do something. And so the series that, um, that we've been working in, Danny's um, taken us two steps so far. And then with GIC last week, we took it another step further. We started off in James, Danny talking about um, how we are not to just be hearers, hearers of the word, but also doers. The gospel is uh, good news, but it's good news of action. Um, we also talked the week after that about um, how we are made to work. We are made to do. God has crafted us for that. And this morning, um, we're going to be looking at another passage that talks about doing. We're going to be looking at... Um, Matthew chapter 7, starting in, uh, in verse 12. It's really the, the main verse that we're going to look at today. Um, and this is a, a verse that is uh, probably familiar to a lot of us. This is Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 12. This is, this is the golden rule. If you want to flip open there with me, we're going to hang out in, in Matthew uh, for the most part this morning. This is Matthew chapter 7, 12, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Um, this, uh, this verse, um, this phrase, do to others as you would have them do to you, um, a lot is built on this. Business principles, customer service policies, um, parenting advice, uh, parenting philosophies, a lot is built on this concept and on this idea, do to others um, as, as you would have done unto you. Um, when we get to this verse in, in, in Scripture, though, it, we have to remember where it falls, the setting that it, that it kind of finds itself in. We are um, in the middle in Matthew chapter 7 and actually toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this is where Jesus is teaching. He's talking to his disciples, um, the 12, and more than likely um, those that were others that were following along with him, uh, following Jesus. And they're sitting on a hillside. What Jesus is doing is he's walking through what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, kind of these kingdom norms. Um, and the, the Jewish people that were sitting there, uh, the people of Israel, they um, were listening to what Jesus was saying, and they had been waiting for this king that would come, for a kingdom that would be established. And they expected him to come and to um, kind of relieve them from this fierce social and political oppression that they had been living under. And so they come to literally come and establish a kingdom. 
But what they hear is actually quite different than what they would have expected. What Jesus says in this sermon, Matthew chapter 5, uh, chapters 5 through 7, which is the longest uh, sermon that we have for Jesus in the Gospels, um, what he says is that his kingdom is not made up of people that are about to take a political oppression by force, but his kingdom is made up of people that are poor, that are mourning, that are meek, that are merciful, Quite the opposite what we would expect of someone that's coming to relieve this great oppression that God's people have been living under. But he says, I've come, in um, uh, the beginning of of, of Matthew, at this this sermon that he's preaching in, um, he says in in verse 17 of of chapter 5, sorry, follow with me here, he says that I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So flip back just a section with me, a page. And read what Jesus says at the beginning of this sermon. This is Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So in the context of this sermon that Jesus is preaching, where he's giving out kingdom norms, there's these two verses where you'll notice a little bit of similar phrasing that falls in here. And they work as bookends within this sermon. Kind of like think about it in this context for me here. He talks about the law and the prophets in 5.17. He talks about the law and the prophets in verse 12. And what Jesus says in 5.17 is that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them. Okay, so what is he talking about here? Now, the law that Jesus is talking about is the, the law that God gave to his people in the Old Testament, his people Israel. He gave them this law in order that they would be able to do about three things, that they would be able to show to other people, show to other kingdoms that they were the people of God, that they live under his rule, his protection, that they lived and they acted differently. This law also helped them to know how to live in relationship with each other. And there are rules in the way that God gave his law to his people that just, they influence normal interactions in the way that we care and value other people. But also what the law does is it, it shows us how to live in relationship with God. And so when Jesus comes, what he says here is that he came not to do away with the law that God gave his people, but he came to fulfill it. Now, why would they expect that Jesus would come to do away with this law? And why would they maybe even want Jesus to come and do away with this law? Because what the law did for the people of God is it showed them, it reminded them consistently of their need for forgiveness. This law that God gave his people um, and, and showing them how to live in relationship with each other and live in relationship with God, it was something that the people, they couldn't keep they would always find themselves butting up against their own selfishness or their own pride or their own desire for self-glorification. And they would bump up against it over and over and over again. And even in giving the law to the people, God made provision for their inability to keep it. It's where sacrifices came in. That through the sacrifices, that their sins, their offenses towards God, they would be, they would be covered up. But the law, over and over again, they would bump up against it, they would hit it, they would do and work and do and work, even to a point that they felt like maybe they were keeping this law, these expectations that God has for for his people. But then they would find themselves again in a place where they've offended God. They've broken his law. They've not met his expectations. And so they would go to to him, they would go to the temple, they would um, have sacrifices that were offered on their behalf, and forgiveness would be extended from them all in the way that God had made provision for man to live in relationship with others and live in relationship with himself. 
So whenever Jesus comes, there was probably a desire for this law that in some ways kept pointing out to them their own failure, that they were trying to live in the standard that God had created for them, but over and over again, they were breaking that law. They were not meeting his expectations. And so when the king comes, surely the king is going to come and make life easier for us. Surely he's going to come and this oppression, social, political, even what we feel upon ourselves and people that constantly uh, fail to meet that expectation for us, surely he's going to come and, and do away with that law, those expectations altogether. But what Jesus says is he didn't come to do away with the law, he came to fulfill it for us. See, in God reminding and letting his people know about their need to never um, be able to lead, live in perfection, live in a way that they can carry on constant relationship with the perfect, holy creator, God, as he allowed them to be reminded of that over and over again, he also pointed to the fact that one day the sacrifices would have to be offered no more. That one day this law was pointing, this, these expectations were pointing to something more, to someone who would come, who would stand in their place, who would stand in our place and live in perfection. And that that's what Jesus did for us. See, Jesus's expecta- God's expectation for us is fulfilled in Jesus. It's not that we needed easier rules. Because honestly, even if God's expectations for us were a little bit lighter, or if we felt like his standard for us were a little bit lower, and we were able to reach up and maybe attain it and live in a way that we could achieve for ourselves right relationship with him, we're human. We're fallen. We would still fall short of it. So in pointing to this need for someone to come and, and, and live in our place, the scriptures, the law, they're in fact pointing to Jesus. That he would come, that he would stand in our place, that he would be perfect for us. And what Jesus does is he doesn't just come and fulfill this law, this expectation that God has for us. Remember that God made provision for that those times when the law was going to be broken for that relationship to be restored through sacrifice. What Jesus does is he comes, he lives in perfection, and then he takes all the sin of humanity, all of the offenses between man and holy God, all of our offenses against God. Jesus takes all those things, he takes them upon himself, and then he dies as a sacrifice for us. So what Jesus does, he comes and he stands in our place and then he offers himself as a sacrifice for all time for sin to be removed, for a relationship that has been made wrong by offense toward God through our sin, to be made right through Jesus' perfect life, his sacrifice and his rising from the grave. So that all who believe in him, and this is what the scriptures tell us, that anyone who believes in this truth, anyone believes that Jesus did this, that he came and he stood in our place, he died in our place, he rose to give us hope and forgiveness. Anyone that believes in him will be forgiven. That salvation is ours. So on the outset of this sermon, before we get to chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says, I came to fulfill all of God's expectations for you. 
Listen to this. Jesus came to fulfill all of God's expectations for us. Let's just all take a collective sigh of relief for a second, okay? That we don't live under this weight of always trying to perform and do in a way that we can achieve for ourselves a right relationship with God. That Jesus came and he did that for us. He stood in our place. Jesus did not come to earth and give this pep talk and then send us out on the field and tell us to play well in a way that we hoped that we would win. Jesus came and he played in our place, securing for us a victory and then giving us that victory to live from. We get to live from the victory that Jesus achieved on our behalf, not working to try and achieve victory of our own. This is huge. This is foundational. What Jesus says here in these two bookends, it sets the stage for all of Christian living. That Jesus did for us what we could not do. Now what this does for us, it relieves this pressure of self-salvation. It relieves for us this idea that we have to perform and live and work and do in a way that we will be accepted. But it also gives us a place to work from. And that's where we land in in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, okay? So what happens in these in-between spaces, in these two chapters between 5, 17, and 7, 12, Jesus goes through this list of practical ways that we live in relationship with each other. What it's like to be a part of, uh, of of the kingdom of God. And then we get to 12, um, chapter 7, verse 12, and read with me again. Jesus says this. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus tells us what, we, what he has done, and then he tells us how we are to live in response to what he has done. The law and the prophets have been fulfilled. He has come and he has stood in our place. And then now how do we respond? How do we live in response to this? We do to others as we would want done, as we would want done to us. Now, when Jesus is talking, the people that are are hearing what he's saying, um, it probably sounds really familiar to them too as well. Um, There was uh, some Jewish phrasing that sounded a lot like what Jesus is saying, where he says, um, do unto others what you would want them to do to you or um, act toward others the way that you would want them to act towards you. It circulated around the same time a phrase that was like that except in the negative. It would say, and listen carefully to the distinction here, um, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you, okay? So where Jesus is saying, do unto others as you would want them to do to you, the phrase at the time was, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. So if you you don't like for people uh, to hit you, then uh, you don't hit others. If you don't like for people to cheat you, then you don't cheat others. If you don't like for people to curse at you, then you don't curse at others, right? This is a restrictive phrasing. Um, It limits our behaviors. Rather than um, liberating us, it restricts us. And so what Jesus says is the exact opposite of this. He doesn't inform what we are to not do. He's not restrictive and prohibitive in the way that he teaches. What he says is not don't do this, but do this. Don't not act this way, but do 
positively move forward acting this way. Because God's expectation for us has been fulfilled in Jesus, what do we do? We act this way. We do to others, we act toward others the way that we would want others to act toward us. Um, so I, I have thought about this in lots of different contexts this week. You can imagine um, uh, whenever you get to a passage like this that's so practical, you think about all the ways that you interact with different people in various different categories. Um, you think about whenever you go and you're returning an item or you need um, some, some customer service and things do not seem to be going exactly the way that you would prefer them go or to the speed that you would prefer that they are done. Um, and so this kind of like justice flares up inside of you and you have to wait and you feel like you should not have to wait and you want to talk to the customer service manager, you want to talk to the manager of the store, you want to talk to the regional manager, you want to talk to the CEO of the company because you are not getting the kind of service, you are not being treated like you think that you should be treated. Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying treat others in such a way that they will treat you the way that you should be treated. Or even a step further than this, take yourself out of the equation. You treat me the way I think I should be treated. That's not what he's saying here. Jesus is, is saying that we act proactively, we live proactively out of what he has accomplished, out of what he's accomplished for us. Think about this even in terms of um, in terms of parenting, this is, uh, and I know that not all of us are, in parent, are parents in the room this morning, but just personally, a little self-disclosure here, this has been the one that has kind of like hit me the hardest this week, right? I can even hear my mom growing up, Debbie's probably watching right now, everybody say, hey, Debbie. Um, uh, I can even hear her growing up. Are you treating your brother, are you treating your sister the way that you would want them to treat you? Are you acting in such a way that they will treat you, that they would want to treat you that way too. Even when I think about my own parenting uh, with our kids, I can hear myself. I mean, I would probably be a fairly wealthy man if I had a dollar for every time I'd said that to one of our kids. Are you treating your brother and sister the way that you would want them to treat you? Now, is there anything wrong with me using scripture to help shape behavior and inform the way that my children act and live? But the truth is, when I take that and I put it back upon myself, even in the way that I parent, I have to ask myself that question. Am I treating my kids the way that I would want them to treat me? Am I living out of what Jesus has accomplished for me and fulfilling God's expectation of me? What that is, that's grace. Am I living out of that grace that I experienced through Jesus? Or am I living out of self-vindication or out of pride or out of how I think I should be treated or out of my understanding of personal justice? Am I living out of that or am I living out of the grace that I have received through Jesus Christ? Do my interactions reflect that I am a person who has been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ on my behalf? This is exactly what John is talking about in, uh, in chapter 13 of his gospel. He says, the world is going to know you. People are going to be able to see you, and they're going to be able to know that you're following me by the way that you act toward one another, by the love that you extend to each other. This is exactly what he talks, what John talks about in chapter 15 of his gospel, where he says, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. You're going to be able to look at people and see if they are rooted in Jesus or if they are rooted in self-pride and rooted in self-vindication or rooted in self-defense. You're going to be able to know 
by looking? Am I living out of the fact that Jesus has already accomplished God's expectation for me? Or am I living out of trying to accomplish and do that on on my own? So how do we live, okay? In this context, how does this shake out practically? If we're to live in such a way, if we're to treat others in the way that we would want to be treated because of what Jesus has accomplished for us in fulfilling God's expectation of us, the grace that we receive through Jesus, how does this look practically? The awesome thing is, when we look at uh, Matthew uh, 5 through 7, Jesus goes through a lot of these things and just kind of like sh- uh, shuffles them out really practically. So um, when it comes to, and let's, let's use scripture just kind of uh, as, as, a, as, a, as an illustration here. Um, look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse, uh, at verse 38. Okay? How do we treat others the way that we want to be treated when we are rooted when we are rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Um, It says, You have heard it said, this is Jesus talking, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, um, this, this text is often used um, as a case for pacifism or uh, a case that, that Jesus would not have um, entered into combat or um, uh, have practiced self-defense um, because we, we see that he's saying if somebody slaps you, um, you turn your cheek and you offer the other cheek. So what if we look at it in this terminology? What if we see what Jesus is saying here in the context of a broader sermon with these two bookends in place? If we are in this, in this passage, if we're seeing that Jesus expects us to treat others the way that we would want to be treated out of the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ, then we look at this verse where Jesus says, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, you turn and you offer him the other cheek. So the expectation here is if, we are, um, if we're in a disagreement and out of anger, you look at me and you slap me across the face because you're mad at me. I've uh, wronged you in some way that you feel like is wrong and you slap me across the face. First, I'm going to be like totally caught off guard. And then my gut instinct is going to be to what? To respond, to self-defend in some way, right? But if I do the opposite of what my, um, of, of what my uh, natural response would be and your natural expectation of me is, and instead, I turn and I offer you the other cheek. Not in, um, not in defiance, not in a tone that would say, um, uh, uh, that would elevate myself, that would be done out of pride. But if I offered you the other cheek, this response would catch you off guard. It would in some way cause you to stop and think about what you were acting, to maybe analyze the craziness that you're living in, that you're acting out of your anger in such a way that you're physically responding to someone, that you've slapped me across the cheek, I turn and I offer you the other one. Okay, so if it were me, if I were on the other side and, and I get in an argument with Michael and I, uh, I go and I, this would be really weird. <laughs> It'd be just, I'm going to leave that there. Um, if I go and uh, Michael and I are in an argument and I slap him across the face and Michael turns his cheek or even Michael looks at me, what would be the thing that I would want done to me in this situation? I would want someone to make me aware of the way that I was acting. I would want someone to call me out of the harmful behavior that I am engaging in and to call me away from it. And that physical response would hopefully cause me to question that. What am I doing? Why am I here? Is what I'm doing, is it bringing good to myself? 
Is it bringing good to Michael? Is it bringing good to the other? Is it extending the grace that I've received through Jesus Christ? Am I doing to others in a way that I would want done, that I would want done to me? Look over in uh, Matthew chapter 22. Just flip a couple pages over. Matthew 22, and this is uh, down around verse uh, 35, 36. Jesus is saying what he is saying in Matthew 7, but he's saying it in a different way. He's with some people, the lawyer comes up to him, and he says, um, and, and you can see this for yourself in verse 36, it says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's basically saying like, what, out of all this, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying here, it's just an expansion of what he said in uh, in chapter 7, verse 12. He actually gives a little bit of order here. He says, love the Lord your God first then love others the way that you want to be loved. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as you yourself want to be loved. The way that Jesus teaches on it in this passage, there's, there's priority given here. It's almost like you cannot love others, you cannot do unto others as you would have done unto you, living out of the grace of Jesus, unless you first have experienced the grace of Jesus and the love of God for yourself. So our first aim is in loving God and understanding what he's done for us in Jesus. And then responding to our neighbor, living out of love for them. So when we look at this, um, the next question is like, well, what do I do? How do I practically apply this, okay? How do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I literally assess every action and response that I have when it comes to someone else? Like anything that I say, anything that I do, do I measure it by the rule? Am I loving my neighbor as myself, as I am rooted in the grace that I've received through Jesus, what he has accomplished for me, Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Am I doing unto others as I would want them to do to me? And the answer is yes. Do we assess every interaction that we have? The answer is yes. This is this process of growing in relationship with Jesus. This is not another thing to add to our to-do list. This is, this is practically asking. It's, it's a practical approach to discipleship. Am I living out of what I've experienced through the salvation of Jesus? Um, that I receive in Jesus? Am I really truly living out of it? Because you can tell by the way that we interact with one another. Am I living out of the grace of Christ and the way that I do to others the way that I would want done unto me? So um, when you think about this, just kind of in general terms, in the relationships that we have, does the Bible have a lot to say about how I as a child should respond to my parents? Okay, um, how I should respond to my mother and father. It says uh, a couple things. It says that I should honor them, that I should obey them. But does it give practical uh, practicality to every interaction that I would have with my parents? No. But Jesus tells me to love um, and, and to act toward my parents the way that I want my parents to love and act toward me. Does the Bible say a ton about parenting? How I am to act as a as a father to my children? Does it give all the specific details about? about the way that I should specifically correct and specifically guard and specifically shepherd. 
But what the Bible does say is that, um, uh, what Jesus does tell us is that I should treat my children, I should act toward my children the way that I would want them to act toward me. Does the Bible give us all the nuts and bolts of marriage? Does it tell us how I should live and de- live day in and day out with my wife, with Holly? No, but what Jesus tells me is that I should act rooted in the grace of Christ. I should act toward Holly the way that I would want Holly to act toward me. I should be anchored in the grace of Jesus. And as I'm anchored in the grace of Jesus, it affects all of my interactions with others. I'm able to see what is my dependence level on Jesus based off the way that I interact with other people. Am I interacting with my, with my coworkers, with the people that I lead, with my neighbors, with the people that live um, down the street, with the person that I um, go through the same grocery line every week with? Am I interacting with them in a way that I am rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ and I am acting toward them the way that I would want them to act toward me? Or am I living out of self-vindication? Am I living out of pride? Am I parenting in a way that shows that my will comes first and not really living out of the grace that I've received in Jesus? Am I leading my staff team? Am I interacting with my wife, my parents? Am I, am I, uh, are my interactions showing that I'm rooted in the grace of Jesus? Are they showing that I'm rooted in myself? This is a big test. Not so that we would see condemnation at every corner that we turn. But so when I look and I ask myself that question, am I living, acting in a way that I'm rooted in the grace of Jesus and acting toward others the way that I would want to be acted toward? When, I, when the answer to that question is no, the response is not automatic condemnation, I'm a failure. The response is I need to press into the grace of Jesus and I need to extend it the way that it has been extended to me. My failures, as I confess them to Jesus as a follower of Christ, as I confess them to him, he offers me forgiveness and grace, and therefore I extend that outward. I extend that outward to others. Do my actions, do the way that I live, show where my hope lies? So an automatic question comes into play here. We come up with these like parameters right? Well, you don't know how they treat me. If they treated you like this, if they had treated Jesus like this, surely he would have made an exception clause in his golden rule and he would have given me an out so that I don't have to necessarily act toward everyone the way that I would want to be acted toward as I'm rooted in Christ. Jesus actually even talks about this when he talks in, the, in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 5. He says, in the way that um, you act toward others, don't just love people that love you, love your enemies." Love the people that are outright mean to you, that once you're bad, respond to them in such a way that you are living out of the grace and the goodness that you have received in Jesus. There's no qualifier. There's no uh, act out of the grace of Jesus except for this situation. It's acting out of the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ. So when we look at this passage, and just kind of in broader context, and we see Jesus calling us to live and act toward others the way that we would want to be acted toward, that we would live and act toward others in a response in the way that that he has acted toward us. And we see our shortcomings, 
and we see that it is not naturally the way that our heart is bent, what do we do with that? What do we do? The response is we remember the gospel. We remember the good news of Jesus. We remember where we started, that Jesus came and he stood in our place, that he lived without flaw, that he met God's expectations for us, that he liberates us to live freely out of the grace that we receive from him. We remember the gospel. We remember that this truly is good news, that Jesus is a friend to the person that messes up. Jesus is a friend to the one that falls short. Jesus is the friend to the one that does not meet God's expectations. And he stands in our place for us. And he extends us forgiveness. So we remember the gospel. The second is we confess these things to Jesus. The scriptures are so clear that it it tells us that whenever we confess our shortcomings, we confess our sins to God through the work of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness is ours and we receive it. So remember the gospel. We confess our shortcomings, the times that we have not loved God, the times that we have not loved others. And then we ask for the spirit of God that lives inside of every person that puts their faith and hope in Christ. We ask him to give us the power and the ability moving forward to extend the grace of God to others the same way that that grace has been extended to us. We don't just look at ourselves and try and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, I'm going to do something good next time. No, we confess our shortcomings We stand rooted in the work that Jesus has done on our behalves, and we ask that that the Spirit of God would enable us to reflect him accurately to others, that we would be able to live in the goodness that we have in Jesus, and we'd be able to extend that goodness to those that we interact with on every level of human life, those that are closest to us and those that are just on the fringe, That when people would interact with us, they would be interacting with a person who's been forever changed because we've been forgiven. We've been restored from a relationship that was broken, that leaves us living in separation from God and eternity apart from him. We've been brought into a living, thriving, active relationship with the holy creator, God, only through the life, death, and resurrection of his only son, Jesus Christ. We live rooted in him. We live rooted in him. Will you bow your heads for, uh, for just a minute? I want to move through this process with you this morning. Just as we um, sang this song uh, before, before we spent time together looking at these verses, we want to tell the Lord that we need him. So just take a second and ask the Lord to reveal to you ways that you have not been living out of the grace that you've received in Jesus. Ask him to just point out a few ways that maybe you have not been living toward others, acting toward others the way that you would want to be acted toward. Now remember the gospel this morning. Ask the Lord to remind you of the work that he has done for you in order that you could be forgiven, that you could be forgiven for the way that you have acted toward others, 
that you could be forgiven for the ways that you have not lived in loving God through the person of Jesus. Remember the gospel. Ask for his forgiveness. And lastly, this morning, ask the Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit. Ask God to equip you as he has through his son Jesus to be able to live out of the grace that you've received in him. That because Jesus has met the expectation that God has for us, because he's met that expectation, we would treat others in a way that, we have, that would show we've been forgiven, that we've received grace. Father, this morning we thank you that um, your good news to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is life-giving, that it is freeing, that it is restorative, that we are a people who have, have not met the expectation that you have for us. As you're perfect and holy, we fall short of that. But through your son, Jesus Christ, who lived in our place and died in our place and rose to secure for us forgiveness, as we are a people that trust and hope in him, we thank you that as we fall short of those expectations, that you give us grace, that you give us your Holy Spirit that enables us to follow you, Jesus, more faithfully. So this morning, Father, we ask that you would help us to do that, not to just do good things, but to be a people who have been acted for on, uh, for our good. That as Jesus has acted for us, we would go and act as his people, living as a people that are a part of his kingdom and his rule and his living. That we would extend the love and the grace to others that we have received only through Jesus. Would we be that people? Would we be a people that feel and know the freedom and forgiveness we have in Jesus and live that out in the world that we live? We thank you for this truth. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.